Hey confidants, it's your girl T, Father Longwood, your high priestess. Um, I hope you guys have had a happy new year. It is January 1st, the first day of 2020. Wow, what's it like? Um, what did you guys do today? I want to know everything. Tell me. Um, you might have noticed that this is a guest that's already been on, and that's because astute observers it is a re-release um but this voice you're hearing right now this is new 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 recording um wow what a way to start the new year um no i just wanted to kind of put this episode out um i'm playing around with re-releasing episodes that did well over the year um since we are on hiatus um but i will be back next week um so if you guys already listened to this one and you are good then i don't know to go run or something um but you know we have a lot of new listeners who joined us after we switched over to hoo-ha-ha network um so this is a fun one our this is actually one of the most popular most downloaded episodes from 2019 i didn't include it in the highlights um uh clip reel whatever you call it episode i guess i didn't include it in the highlights um that came out last week um because um because i think this episode is very nuanced and i think we kind of cover a lot of important ground um about coming out and identity and so many different things and i think we kind of address it from a very real honest place to both of our individual experiences now it might not be your experience you might have a very different or opposite experience um but i i look back on this episode fondly because even though it is very sensitive subject because um you know it's honestly kind of recorded in the process of someone coming out um but it's so honest and it's something that i really related to at that point of my life as well so i just want to put that out there um yeah it's mary beth roan i really enjoyed this episode um we'll be back next week with new episodes um but yeah i hope you guys have a new happy new year um come see me do comedy in san diego at the madhouse um in about a week january 10th weekend i'll be featuring all weekend there and then every monday we're back public house in los Feliz. uh the show is called honeycomb you can see the lineups at honeycomb comedy on instagram um but it's always really fun and i'm always there and i hang out so come and say hi and then everything else is on my website teresaleecomedy.com slash shows um write me review whatever i hope you guys enjoy this episode all right bye bye you can tell her you can tell her anything she's a real good listener you can tell but I'm really excited today because I've got a special guest all the way from New York City. Have you guys heard of it? <laughs> Probably. So <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and introduce her. It's Mary Beth Baroni. Hi. Did I say your name right? It's Barone, but Barone. it's been mispronounced in every which way. And that was by, that was not the worst. You know okay. what I mean? Baroni's fine. That's I probably how asked. the Italians say it. It's... You know? Barone, like a baritone. Yeah. It's like, what's in a name? People, I was introduced as Mary Beth Monroe, oh, really? Mary Beth Marone, Mary Beth, you know, it's been huh. any number of things. When so. did you always do the three names for comedy or did, was that a choice? I have always been Mary Beth. 
and I almost was Mary Elizabeth for a while. I like oh, okay. thought in college I was going to like make that because that's my name is Mary Elizabeth Barone. I thought I was going to go for the long name, but then it just mm-hmm. was too cumbersome. What is, so what you were married or you are Mary Elizabeth Beth? Barone? Just Mary Elizabeth Barone. Oh, because the Beth comes oh, at the Beth. end. It's it's wow. so crazy. It's of like course. yeah. I didn't even think about that. Elizabeth does have the name Beth in it. Yeah, it's crazy. Are all Beths Elizabeths? A lot of them are. And even some wow. Bettys. Oh my God. Yeah. Never knew. Yeah. You learn something new every day. My dad used to want to nickname me Terry. I feel like I was being super rude as a kid because um you know, as a kid I was like, I don't want to be named that. But like when your parents name you they should be allowed to name you because they made you. Cause, and it's their choice. Yeah. Just thinking about like naming a kid and wanting to have a nickname, like that should be, they should be allowed to do that. I, they should be able to cast upon you whatever they want to call you. Exactly. At what age do you think parents stop having the right to tell you what to do? Like not to, obviously there's always like parenting, but I just mean like there's expectations, right? And I feel like as a kid, you're like, you shouldn't put anything on me. And now as an adult, I'm like, well, there should be some expectations they're allowed to push. And then at a certain age, you can then shed them. Yeah, I think it's so layered because I think back to when I was a kid and I guess seven years old is the age of reason, supposedly. That's what they taught us in Catholic school. Oh. And that's why you get your communion when you're seven in second grade. But I, I don't, I feel like... I feel bad about my like teen and tween years because mm-hmm. I think I was kind of like mean to my parents sometimes. Definitely not as bad as other people that I know. Yeah. But I look back on those years and I just feel terrible because of all the things that they've done for me. And I was like just ungrateful and rude. But I think honestly, like until, I don't know, until you're 18, I think they should be able to like impose some <laughs> rules, right? Is that so yeah. old? Yeah, that seems old for me for expectations. I don't mean rules. I think rules, yes, they should be allowed to tell you what to do because you're not an adult. But I just mean like, let, let's say you have a kid and you're like, I'd like them to be a dancer. Oh, but I do think like, you know, you can't force anyone to do anything. But I think when they're a child, you can put them in dance classes when they're two. And I don't think that's being a helicopter parent no. or being pushy. And at a certain age, they should be allowed to say, Hey mom, I actually don't like this. I'm going to quit. And then you should be like, okay, I'm glad you made a choice. But I feel like there's a period of time when you can, I think maybe it is. Yeah. Maybe six or something. Maybe I feel like if they want to quit at four, I think you should, you're allowed as a parent to say, no, you're not allowed to quit. Cause feelings are so fleeting when you're four. Yeah. Like if you, if your best friend, so I did gymnastics as a little, little girl. And uh-huh. like, if my best friend who did gymnastics with me, wasn't there one day, maybe I would be like, I want to quit. But right. then the next week I would totally forget that I even ever thought that. So yes, <laughs> don't take me seriously when I'm four. Yeah. I would say that's fair. I think that's fair. I don't know. Maybe I'd be a bad parent because I'd put <laughs> all these expectations on my kid. Um, I do like to start every episode by asking my guests for a good confession. It just helps to start on a positive note and get to know the guest. Do you have something good you'd like to confess? I have the honor and the privilege of officiating my best friend's wedding. Ooh, and that's I'm so exciting. excited. First time offici- officiating? Yes. I am gonna I'm gonna send them both like a few questions to answer. Cause okay. like if I was just to go up and talk about them as a couple, it's not gonna be maybe always wedding appropriate. Like sure. I know too much and they're great and they're an amazing couple, but I would like to kind of be guided by what they want to talk about. That's and then good. I'm gonna try to make it funny because I feel like I have to. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. Well, yeah, I feel like the the jokes, the inside jokes are good for the the bachelorette, the bachelor party, maybe rehearsal, depending on what the vibe is. And right. then the 
formal wedding is like, all right, it's all the family. And I'm going to get a list of things that they don't want me to say if there's uh-huh. anything like that, <laughs> just to not upset anyone. But I think it's going to be fun. That's so cool. Well, congrats. Thank That's you. exciting. I've never officiated a wedding before. I've spoken at them. I've given toasts, which are always fun. Yeah. Um, I think the key is just to keep it short. But I, it's weird now because my friends know I do comedy. So when I do have to give toast, I feel like people are always like, I can't wait to hear yours. And I'm like, I'm not trying to ruin your day. Do, like- you, <laughs> do you find yourself at those type of things being like judgmental of other people's speeches? Because they're oftentimes so bad. No. Well, if they try to be funny, but generally I feel like it's always genuine and I try to go in. I mean, I'm like, I try to be genuine. And then I think I'll sometimes throw in a joke just cause I'm like, people are want to hear it, but I don't, I don't think people really want to hear jokes because I think actually this did happen to me at a bachelorette. They were like, can you do a roast of the bride? And they didn't, it was supposed to be a surprise for her, but I thought everyone was like on board and in and I was like, okay. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do a real bad roast. Cause you know, and she's a good friend of mine and <laughs> I just like was like, I don't, this is a weird, but I, um, I was like, I'll write some fun ones, which I thought I was writing pretty tame PG, like nice roast that, but they were still written in the setup of a roast, you know, with the setup punchline and, uh, and they didn't really, it didn't go well. (laughs) Were people just like, yeah, it was very awkward. People were like, and it was also like nobody, not everyone who was there, like was aware of it. So it was like the maid of honor was like, all right, everyone, we're going to do the, are you ready? Okay. Come on, Teresa, you take charge. And I was like, what's happening? And then we're all in the living room and then she was like, okay, tell her to sit up there. All right, go. And then I, I was just like, it was just like a living room. Like, and then I just had to be mean to your friend. Yeah. And it was very, and I like, but the thing is I picked stuff that I felt like was pretty like, Oh, I made fun of her drinking a lot and things that I was like, haha, we're at a bachelorette. We can all laugh about this. Uh, and we went to high school together and, um, and uh, she's Chinese, but like we we're both kind of j- used to joke about being like whitewashed or whatever, you know, as ki- cause we were in the Bay area. So there was a lot of, like uh I would say probably a bit of self like internalized self-loathing yeah which now we've obviously grown out of but I just made fun of her for being whitewashed a little bit and then like that didn't go well and I thought that was like like whatever easy like a quick win yeah I think I said like if she wore a traditional Chinese I was like she's so whitewashed if she wore a traditional Chinese dress it would be called appropriation see that's funny which I thought was like a pretty harmless tame joke and but yeah people also there were it was mostly white girls um did your did the bride (laughs) think it was funny I think she, I don't think so. I think she was very nice about it. And she smiled and was like, ha ha, you're so funny. But I was like, I feel like I ruined it. But I, it's, I saved it because my gift that I got her was a book of toast. So it actually ended up feeling like I did it on purpose, but I had planned the gift before they asked me to roast her. And it was like a bunch of like cocktail recipes, one from everybody that they submitted. And oh, it was like bound and cute and it had a little toast in it. So then I was like, haha, now for the toast. And I think it was fine. Well, <laughs> but, I think to get a professional roasting at your bachelorette uh, sounds pretty fun. I, I honestly am like, never again. If someone asked me to do that, I'll just say no. Kindly decline. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you watched Pen15? Not yet. Okay. No, I tried I, to just log in, but I don't have Hulu. <laughs> oh, I use my brothers. Thank God. But um, when you talked about like in whitewashing and like internalized yeah. self, uh, did you say self-hatred? Or, yeah. Okay. Cause there's an episode specifically that deals with that with one of the main characters. Oh and, yeah. Maya Erskine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I read an article about how she got really emotional on set that day. Cause like the other kid actors were doing such a good job that huh. it like drummed up all this, like really 
like pent up feelings about it. And it was like, it was so the shows, the show's amazing. I can't speak highly enough. I have nothing Uh to do with the show. I'm not involved. (laughs) I didn't come on here to plug pen 15, but I have, I have been telling every single person I've talked to. It's so good. I got to watch it. Yeah. Everybody keeps telling me to watch it. And I'm like, I probably should. Yeah. I think it would be very close to home. Maybe. I don't know why I've been putting it off. I think maybe it's like, I already know what it is, but then I'm like, "Eh, it'll still be fun. It's really fun. And I've, I feel like the more I've done comedy, the harder it is for me to enjoy like other people's art for some reason. (laughs) I think it's probably just jealousy and like Mm -hmm. whatever, but this was like just undeniably funny. And do you feel that way about, uh, people you don't know too? Really? Yeah. Not always, but I think it's tough. Sometimes I just get jealous. Like I'm like, Oh, I want that. You know, (laughs) maybe that's a confession too. I think that's very relatable. I'm like, I I have that with, uh, people I know sometimes like, and not people I know, um, like really close. Like if they're really close, I'm always happy for them. Totally. People peripherally I know where I'm like, Oh, we did an improv class together four years ago or something. And then they sell a show. And that's when I'm like, Oh, cool. Mm, But then I like feel it, even though I I, like, I'm going to just say outright, like, I know this is wrong. So I'm not like saying this is a thing that you should have, but of course, but I, I, uh, I clock it. I definitely have a feeling of like, I don't want to read this. A hundred percent. I mean, when it, when it's people, I know, like you said, that's, that's not in my like direct crew that I'm like always just undeniably happy for, which I was going to mention John Trowbridge, who has our mutual friend. Yeah, he's he's one of those podcast. people where I feel like every time something good happens to him, I'm like genuinely so excited. Yeah. But then there's other people who I see and I'm like, mm. <laughs> like I just, Oh, you know, I make a fist, but it's good. They say like a rising tide lifts all boats or whatever. Yeah, I do believe that. And I think it's okay to have that feeling initially and then you can like let it go, you know, take a moment. Yeah. And, and, uh, because it usually just speaks to your own insecurity. So it's never really about, which is also a good thing. It's never really about the fact that you don't like the person because generally that's not true. So sometimes I'm like mad that I feel that way. And then I'm like, you know what, this just probably just means, so there's something going on right now that I'm not happy with. So maybe I should figure out what that is and then put my energy in that or whatever. That's very know. smart and good. Yeah. Thank you so much. No, uh, it's good to break, <laughs> like just hearing how other people process feelings like that. Cause I think especially with what we do, it's so normal and it happens like with social media, I feel like it happens so much yeah. and you just kind of have to let yourself feel it for a second. And then, yeah, just say like, okay, what is this telling me? Why am I feeling this? Do you feel like you'll, do you feel self-aware when you post stuff that's good? That's happened to you? Yeah. I feel that now too. Like I'll get excited about something and then I'll kind of pull back. Like, I don't know if I should say it because I already know like, okay, there's like people who, but then I'm like, it doesn't matter, but it does. Well, you want to celebrate. I think there's, it's so tough to know the, like the fine line between celebrating something exciting and bragging. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. Cause when I was, when I was in, I forget where I was, but I was like bored and I was looking through my Instagram. Oh, I, my flight was delayed. So I was looking through my Instagram and I was ha- archiving a bunch of posts. Cause I was just mm-hmm. like, there's just too much on here right now. And like, I don't need to be like presenting all of this to the world. And I just got this <laughs> weird feeling of like, I just want to hide some of this stuff for a while and maybe I'll put it back up, but yeah. I don't know something about just like, I, I never want it to be like, I'm bragging about stuff. So I find it tough to know where to straddle the line. Cause like when I see other people posting stuff, I'm like, sometimes I roll my eyes, but then I think, well, if it were me, I would definitely be posting that. Yeah. You should be excited about, um, stuff that you feel that makes you feel good and your true friends will be happy for you. But I actually I had a moment like that today. Cause I post, I, um, I'm, 
one year sober today. Congratulations. Or sober drinking. I'm not like completely sober, but, um, Hey, that's huge. <laughs> that's amazing. Thank you. But I, uh, I was like excited about it and it's not any, it's not a thing I would celebrate cause I obviously would drink or whatever. So it's just, I'm celebrating by not doing any of the things I used to do. Right. But I, uh, posted something cause I was kind of like, you know what? I feel excited. And I'm like, ah, I kind of want someone to congratulate me. So I just posted it, but it is the kind of thing where I was like, should I even post this? This feels like that's something annoying. that people like, can get behind <laughs> universally. It's like, no matter what, like brought you to that point. I think people are just happy if you're happy on that level always. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's what I think. But then I also feel like that. Yeah. I don't know. It's the kind of thing it, it feels to me. It's like a thing where it's just like bra- that literally was just bragging for the sake of bragging. But I think you earned it a year <laughs> of not drinking, especially as a comedian, like, I've definitely been, I've been drinking less the last few months, but mm-hmm. I haven't like fully outright quit. And it's so hard because it's yeah. just every, I mean, it's all around us all the it time. It is hard. I didn't, um, this wasn't the first time I tried. I did it for, uh, pretty much a year, like a, a little over two years ago. And then I came back to drinking and then I was like drinking for half a year and then on and off. And then it got worse. And then I was like, I'll stop again. So now this time I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep going. Um, but yeah, so I, I am excited about it and I am proud of it, but it is a thing where I was like, it's really just self-serving to be like, I did a thing. <laughs> but by that same token, someone might see that and say, well, she did it. Maybe I should, yeah. you know, like there might be people out there struggling who either are like, oh, well screw her. But then there's probably people that are like, oh, this is like attainable and doable. So that's yeah. great. Thanks. Yeah. It is a thing that does help me in my sobriety is when I am at, especially in comedy, because so many, there's, you're always at bars, but there's a lot of sober comedians in LA. And so I I start to like know who they are because usually we like to talk about it, you know, whatever. It's very annoying, but I think it helps to talk about it. Um, it helps me stay sober to talk about it. So when I, um, when I do go to something like a party and there are other sober comedians, it does help me to see them. Like I kind of like clock them. Cause I'm like, cause every once in a while I'm like, maybe I'll just drink tonight. And then if I see someone I know is sober for like 10 years or something walking, I'm like, Oh, we've had to talk about it. Eh. And then just seeing them helps me not do it. So. And you're doing that for someone else. Yeah. So, so hopefully. Yeah. 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 Anyways, um, do you go to therapy or anything? I do. I actually, I, so one thing I tell everyone I meet is that mm-hmm. you should watch pen 15. Second <laughs> thing is that therapy like changed my life. It's something I didn't think I needed for a long time, but, uh, after college I had some issues with food. Um, just like really being obsessive about my weight uh-huh. and body image. I had like bad body dysmorphia. So I went to therapy I started almost two years ago and I have, it, it just changed everything for me. Was your feeling about therapy before? Cause you, you said like, oh, I didn't think I needed it. Um, and I, I used to have this too, where it was like the language around therapy when I was growing up was like, it's like a bad thing. Like people say like, oh, you need therapy or like you should go to therapy as like a joke yeah. to say like, oh, you need help. Right. Is that how you felt about it? Yeah. I think just no one in my family, like that I knew of had ever gone to therapy and it just seemed like, well, we have like, I don't know. I, yeah, I guess in the nineties therapy just seemed like, cause that's, I, I'm a child mm-hmm. of the nineties, not maybe that's that. Like yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I think just back then, like really no one talked about it. Yeah. No, no one was like open about going to therapy. And I just, I guess I thought people who go to therapy are always like have 
are mentally ill or have emotional uh-huh. problems. And then I got to a point where I like couldn't even talk about, like I would start crying thinking about what I was going to get for lunch. Cause I knew once I ate food, I was going to be obsessing about it for the rest of the day. And I definitely wasn't like, I, I think I thought I had it under control, but then when mm-hmm. I started talking about it in therapy and just like completely unloaded, it was, I realized it's okay to like need that. And even just talking about it openly with my family and friends, like a lot of people have started going. So I think it's so important. Like, even if you don't think you need it, it's mm-hmm. not going to, it's not going to be a bad thing. Yeah. And at this point I feel like I am, I'm single right now. And I think I probably wouldn't date anyone who wasn't in therapy because yeah. I want to date the best version of someone and I'm bringing the best version of me to that person. So I would want that to be the case for them too. That's a really good way of putting it because it's like, if you're working on yourself, it's like if you're playing, you know what it is? It's like if you're an athlete and exactly. you're playing and let's say you're like ready to play in the NBA, like you wouldn't, you just don't want to waste your time. Well, maybe this metaphor is kind of falling apart. Well, <laughs> you want to go play in the NBA, right? So that even someone you want to practice with, I don't know, basketball people practice, but let's say you're like, they hey, I'm I want to, sure I want a buddy to practice workout buddy. And your workout buddy is like, oh, I, um, I don't lift weights. I don't do this and I don't eat well. And then you're like, okay, well then we just want different things. Like right. you, then whatever you're you should doing, practice with someone else. Yeah. If you're recreational, you don't want to be in the NBA fine, but the therapy is the same thing. It's like a way to improve yourself and doesn't mean everyone is at the same place in their life. But I do think like if you're taking care of yourself, it makes sense to want to date someone who's also doing that because yeah. you're both caring about that and your values are there. And I think the people that I've spoken to about it, it's sometimes I've suggested it to people and they're not ready to go. And I sure. think nobody goes to therapy until they're ready. Like yeah. you have to reach that point where you're just like, I can't do this anymore. And that's when you're going to go. So I can recommend it to people like every day, but until they're ready to like face whatever it is they have going on, mm-hmm. it's just, it's not going to work. It's very scary to talk about yourself openly if you're, if you've never done that before. Um, and I always think like comedy is conducive to it, but a lot of comedians don't go or, or, are scared of it too. So I think it's just, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I used to think it was cool, which is a weird thing too. It is cool. <laughs> I, that I re- fully believe that. I but think like it's cool. cool. Like, like, um, almost like hip cool. Like, I think I remember just reading, maybe I read Rachel Dratch's bi- biography and she was talking mm-hmm. about going to ther- having a therapist when she started working at SNL. And I just remember thinking and hearing comedians talk about therapy on stage, just thinking like, oh, therapy is this cool thing. If you have a therapist, it means you're like, like this person that like you're seeing and you're like, someone's like helping you be a better person. So I thought it was really cool. And then, but my mom really was against it. She's come around now, but, um, she really hated it. And so I think there was definitely like cultural clash there. I'm sure parents are terrified when their kids go to therapy yeah, because you just talk about them. Yeah. Like- <laughs> and they probably think like, Oh, this person's going to like blame me for, or like trick, not trick, but like convince my kid that it's all yeah. my fault, which like, I don't believe, I don't know if you think no, that I don't about think your, they do. but like, that's the perception of it. I There's think. a fear of like your, your, the stuff that, well, I can, I mean, I have this w- with, uh, my roommate's Alexa, which is, uh, it's <laughs> the, on you right now. Thing. Yeah. But like, I feel like she's listening to everything and she's not that smart yet, but she will one day have the technology to, to be smarter. And all the stuff she's ever heard in her entire life is going to be like embedded in her. So this is a really long roundabout way. Yeah. To say like, I am the Alexa of my parents. Um, you know, when they they were raising me, they didn't know where I was going to go or that I was going to go on stage and talk about my shit. And so they do their best. I think they really did. But, um, 
I think there is a fear of like, okay, your, your kid's grown up as an adult and is now interacting with other people, other adults, and their actions have consequences. They've seen everything in our house growing up. Like what is going to be unleashed? Like, what are they going to bring with them? Yes, exactly. And all the good, all the bad, you know, they have memories of all the fights, all the stuff, but it's like, the truth is everybody has that. So I think that's, Yes, there are, you know, bad moments that we all carry, but everyone has it. So I think there's a basic human understanding of like parents are a certain way. So you've been through stuff. I've been through stuff. We've all been through stuff. Obviously some people on a much deeper, more intense level, Mm -hmm. but I would say, I mean, for me that that stuff rarely comes up outside therapy, right? Like I don't go out to dinner and talk about like a fight (laughs) I got in with my mom when I was 12. Yeah. Although I do love, uh, I do have a couple friends who, uh, I love talking about with that stuff. Actually, one of my former guests, Charles Gould, every Mm. time we get dinner, I feel like we always talk about our moms. (laughs) It's like, I don't know why it's just always, we just, cause are, we had similar experiences with our parents. And so we ended up talking about it. It's very cathartic. Um, but yeah, I think I don't, blame my parents. And if anything, my therapist has um, taught me not to, because I think therapists teach you good ones, teach you how to like, I was going to say that's a good therapist. Yeah. They teach you how to uh, look within and only not try to change the things you can't control and only change yourself. So a lot of it is like acknowledging that maybe for years I did feel like resentment and then being like, Oh, why do you feel that way? Oh, here's how you can let go. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, if anything, it improved my relationship with most of the people in my life. And that's like, that's the goal. Yeah. It's not to like unearth all this stuff and like make you hate your parents. It's really just to be like, these are the internal, these are the messages you're sending yourself every day. And maybe you need to just like change those. That's yeah. definitely what it was for me. What, did, um, so, cause you, you were saying you had, um, issues with eating in high school and then you didn't start going to therapy for since two years ago. So what, how long did that go on? It was actually not till after college because okay. high school, I was like, I was a okay, swimmer. You were saying school, I thought. So I- yeah, I probably did say school. Um, to me that, yeah. Um, I'm just like, oh, everyone knows that means college, but that's not true. <laughs> uh, so in high school, I was like a pretty happy teenager. I was on the swim mm-hmm. team. Um, and I had, I was fine. Like I didn't have any issues with my body or anything like that. But then, um, you know, I would compare myself to other people, but I don't think anything on like, it was, that was too yeah, crazy. Like a superficial yeah. Level. Just the normal stuff that we're like bombarded with all <laughs> day, so every that women have to deal with. <laughs> yes. And then when I went to college, I think, I don't know what changed about the lifestyle there, but I, when I dropped out after two years, um, I just brought home this like obsession. I was Where did obsessed. you go to college? I went to Boston college. Was it really different from, was there a big culture shock? I don't know where you grew up, but I grew up in Connecticut. So I, I went to Catholic school from kindergarten to eighth grade, mm-hmm. and then I went to public high school. So BC was very much like the Catholic school I had attended because okay. it was not very diverse. And I just felt like it was more of the same of what mm-hmm. I'd kind of already done and been there. And um, I, I guess it was like, I was pretty, I wasn't happy in college. And I think that manifests in a lot of different ways. And for me, it was like, okay, you're going to be like constantly tracking what you're eating in your head Mm -hmm. mentally. You're going to like devote so much emotional labor to this working out obsessively feeling like I can't let myself enjoy food because I'm going to feel guilty after it was that type of stuff. Yeah. Sometimes I, my sister dealt with eating stuff in high school and both of us, we, we both had coping things, but hers was that and mine was different. But I feel like a lot of times, um, it comes out of a need for control or if something in your environment's changed or you feel like you are scared or don't know um, how to make things normal again, it's easier to just be like, well, if I 
you know, if I do this ritual or if I, if I track this thing in my life, then nothing will change or then I have some sort of control over something. Yeah. It's, it's a hundred percent that because I know I have, I have that energy regardless of what I'm putting it toward. Mm -hmm. So the fact that it's not going toward my food and my body right now, and I'm not channeling it toward boys either, which is another Uh way it can manifest. (laughs) I just channel it toward my career, which can be healthy and unhealthy, right? Like I put a lot of pressure on myself, um, to like, have good shows and be constantly working on things, constantly busy, exhausting, burning Mm -hmm. the candle at both ends. But I think for me, that's at least a more productive use of the energy because when it's geared toward food or boys, it's just like, that's destructive. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's good that you are aware of that. I think, um, you know, it's all a process. You don't have to figure it out right away, but the first step is knowing like, Oh, I want to change this. I was just, you were, something you were saying made me think of, oh, um, one thing, like one of the things I worked on when I first went to therapy was like, I, I, I want to start hoarding. It sounds like I hoard a lot, but I hoard a lot like memories, like playbills, shit like that. I had boxes and boxes of stuff. So I learned to let go of it. Like I had, I've talked about this on the podcast before, so I won't get too deep into it, but I just had a lot of stuff and I was able to let go. And now I don't really do that so much. I have like maybe two boxes of things from my entire life. They have sentimental value. Yes. And even that I'm like, it's too much. I got to go through it. But, um, the other day I started clearing up my Gmail cause my Gmail is full Oh boy. and I've had it for years. Like I think I've had this email address for almost 10 years. So it's just going to fill up and I don't like to delete stuff. So th- I know this is a problem of mine. Like I keep things far beyond their expiration date. So I was like, Oh, this will be easy. I'll just go back from the very beginning. And just like, if I have a couple hours, like, every, you know, whenever I have free time, I'll just spend an hour and just delete blind, like email by email and I'll clear out a bunch of space. And it took me like, it would be like a hundred emails and I delete one. Like I was like, not deleting anything and everything I was looking at meant something. And this is the crazy thing is because even now I'm like, I should just delete it. But I went back from like 2010 and I was reading emails, uh, one email at a time. And I really did bring me joy. Like every email I opened, I was like, Oh, I'm right here. Like it was a time machine. I was like, Oh, I remember this time in my life. And it wasn't just like, I need one email to remind me. It was like seeing the big picture of, Oh, over these three months I was, um, planning this event with my dance team so I can see how I sent an email here asking for sponsors and then an email here saying thank you to them. And, oh, wow, I can really track that the effort was um, fruitful and that I put in a lot of time because I cared about it. And look, it, it turned out well. And in hindsight, I look at that. I'm like, that is very encouraging to me to see like baby Teresa trying to do something and then know, having the knowledge now that I succeeded in that thing 10 years ago or whatever. Yeah. Anyways, all this is to say... I, I think I, my, uh, hoarding manifested in a different way. And I didn't realize this till literally, I think yesterday when I was mm. clearing emails, like, oh shit, I thought I got rid of this habit and I did not. Well, I think it's, <laughs> I, I personally think it's gonna be interesting to see how our generation deals with that, with just like our digital footprint, because mm-hmm. even for me right now, I have to pay for extra Google drive storage and I have to pay for extra iCloud storage. Cause I just have so many yeah. pictures, screenshots, emails, attachments, videos, like stand up videos. I'm never going to watch or use again. <laughs> like they're all, I, I need like, I need a better, I'm like semi organized with that stuff, but I could be better. And I feel like if I'm, 27 and I'm already having to pay for more storage. Like imagine how much bigger my life is going to get. And that's, it's going to have to live somewhere, you know, get a, um, a G drive. This is what I do for photos and videos. I have a G drive and then everything's categorized. 
this makes me sound like insane, but I had to do this because I had too much stuff and I was afraid of deleting it. So then I have like a, you know, a folder for photos and it's organized by like the year and then like the seasons. Yeah. And it's a nightmare, but, um, I back all that up and then I don't look at it until like, usually once a year I'll go through stuff. Do you ever here? So here's my question. You keep a lot of stuff. Do you ever go back and look at stuff or is it just knowing it's there? I do go back. I think I, it's tough. Like the things that I struggle to delete are like videos of my nieces and nephews Mm -hmm. and like videos of this trip. But I have like three, or like photos where I have like seven of the same picture and it's just a matter of going through and like picking the best one and deleting the other six. Mm -hmm. I actually got an app called flick, which I think was like a dollar. My roommate showed it to me. You can swipe left and right on photos and delete them. And it's, it honestly changed my life because (laughs) I had like four or 5,000 pictures and it breaks it down by month and you can just, and then it deletes and it would show you how many like gigabytes or megabytes of storage you just cleared. And so it it almost gamified it a little bit because you feel like (laughs) I just did something like I'm on the subway for 20 minutes and I just went through June, 2016, 300 pictures and now there's 50. So that's, that's actually something that I'm okay at doing if I just sit down and take the time. Also on the iPhone, it's kind of annoying because if I want to watch a video from like two years ago to see if mm-hmm. I want to keep it, it loads and loads and loads. Yeah. So I'm just, I, I, I can't delete it if I don't know what it is. So yeah. like I, I know what the screen grab is, but I definitely struggle with that too. And I assign sentimental value to a lot of things, mm-hmm. which I've had to kind of like grow out of a little bit, but I still have my blankie. Like I still have my blankie. Maybe that also should have been my confession, but I still have my blankie from when I was born and I sleep with it every night. Still Mm -hmm. in New York, but it's in a pillowcase because it's so (laughs) like it's torn up. I have a blanket that I used to um, have up until college and I would sleep with it in my bed. And I actually, I had two and one I liked more than the other. And it was, uh, but I would fold them every night and they got so ripped up. And then when I went to college, I was just like cold turkey, like not going to bring it. So then it became a thing where I was like, I didn't miss it because I didn't really in my head, like I did want it, but I didn't, you know, like I was able to let it go. But when I came home, I would sleep with it. So Mm -hmm. there's something about like falling into the habit of like, I wanted it there. Yeah. Um, but then over time, I guess I just don't miss it now, but (laughs) I freak out thinking that one day it's going to completely disintegrate. I know it's going to happen, but I don't know when I hope (laughs) I'm like in a better place than maybe, but I scratch it. Like I have weird habits with my blankie (laughs) and I will show it to guys when I bring them home. I'm just like, this is here, just Uh so you're aware. And if this is a deal breaker, then you can get out. Cause is it in the bed when the guys are there? Yeah. Sometimes I'll move it, but sometimes I won't because I know I'm, I know that the guy might leave, but my blankie won't. So Aww, I'm keeping that's it. That's so cute. I think, I don't know. Or is it really <laughs> fucking weird? I'm sure you're not the only person who does that. I think if I was able to bring it to college, I, d- I would, but I didn't bring, I had a bunny pillow that mm-hmm. I brought to college with me. And then eventually just, I had, the only way I can get rid of stuff if I just don't think about it and just cold turkey turn around, yeah. like just walk away from it. And then years later, I'm like, oh yeah, there was that thing. It's, I, it's not all, it's also not that healthy. Cause I, I, it's very black and white for me, but like even, gosh, like, but is that unhealthy or is that healthy? Maybe, I think in yeah. some ways that's healthy. Well, I have people, I have friends who don't like to look at stuff and like, like my boyfriend's a total opposite. He'll be like, I don't, he doesn't save things. He deletes his texts all the time. And but is just, that healthy? I mean, I think it's healthier than it's more present, but 
I go back and I look at stuff and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so excited about who I used to be. It, tra- I, it's tra- it like transports me. Yes, Even songs like can do that. Time traveling. Yeah. And I get obsessed with trying to show people and then nobody cares because it's like nobody wants to hear about an email I sent in 2010. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, look at this. I planned a program for my residents. Do you guys want to see? And people are like, no, <laughs> not at all. But as long as it brings you joy, I think that's, really the whole, that's the whole deal. <laughs> it does. But one thing I learned is that I sent so many uh, mass emails. Like I, I use listservs a lot in college and I'm like, how, who was I? I don't even recognize myself. I'm like, I would never do that now. Not even BCC'd, Mm-mm. just to all the names and just like random stuff. Like I made a new website. Check it out, guys. Like that, but that's like shit like that. <laughs> sometimes I wish I had more of that. Like I think about even when I first started doing comedy like I was so bold and now I look back and I'm just like oh that was like completely psycho yeah I can't believe I did that but I'm like were were times different or probably not I think probably not we should be embarrassed I think that's what the lesson is that we should be embarrassed we should always be embarrassed that's a good takeaway we should just be embarrassed (laughs) um speaking of things that you're not embarrassed about is there anything you would like to tell me I would like to confess something to you since I can tell you anything yes so I'm taking this opportunity to reveal that I am a straight woman but I am in love with my best friend who is also a woman is okay is your friend also a straight woman yes Okay, well, let's unpack this. So when you say in love, are, uh, well, can you elaborate? I don't really think I'm bisexual or queer. Mm-hmm. I think I'm like a straight woman. It just happens that like this person who we have mutually discussed like mm-hmm. love on like a romantic level, but we just don't explore it because we're not gay. I think, okay, well, there's definitely many layers to this. Um, and I, I think it's important for you to identify with however you want and also whatever what in also not be beholden to that if it does change in the future um so you shouldn't feel like afraid to explore that but of course like you know if you if you identify straight and you're straight but i do think there's definitely like um i think this is why i get annoyed at the label sometimes because i i took me a long time to come out and when i did come out i eventually said i was bisexual and even now now i mostly say i'm queer sometimes i say i'm bi because people in the Midwest don't know what queer means. And, um, (laughs) and, but I don't really think I'm bi because I'm also attracted to non-binary people. And Mm -hmm. bi just means if you like men or you like women and it's very black and white. I think I go back and forth between using queer and bisexual because I, uh, I don't think of the world as binary. Mm -hmm. And so bisexual is so much about like liking men, liking women. Whereas I'm like, what about everything in between? Um, so I think queer encapsulates that, but I think it's just times have changed. I think bisexual used to capture that and now it's kind of different. I think queer is a term that people struggle to understand people who don't know, maybe don't know queer people or don't know gay people or don't know trans people. They're just like, well, what does it mean? You just like everything. And it's like, (laughs) I, yeah, I guess like that's one way of thinking about it. And maybe some people roll their eyes at it, but I think it's a good way to capture all that. Yeah. I think, you know what it is though? I do think labels are like, I'm going to, uh, I'm like only stuttering because I'm like, I'm trying to figure it out because I don't really know. But I, I think labels are important in, in that once I started saying I, once I was out and like talking about it on stage, it did make me feel more free to then uh, be attracted to women. Whereas before I would kind of like be like, I feel something and then kind of just be like, no, well, I'm straight. So it's not a thing. So that did help having a label. And then eventually when I learned what queer was and that it was different from bi, that also helped me because 
when I had crushes on non-binary people, it made me realize, oh, okay, this makes sense now. Mm -hmm. Whereas before it was like a, I guess, and a lot of, I feel like, you know, there's also like androgynous models or whatever and, and everyone's attracted to them. So in my mind, I used to just be like, well, hot people are hot. Exactly. And they don't fall into a category. Exactly. But I think, um, I think to some people they do. I think for a straight person, they, who like men, they might just like a very manly man. So it's for me, I'm like, well, I'm like this. Everyone must be like this. But then I have to realize like, well, maybe not, maybe not everyone's like me. It It's interesting because I think we're getting to a place where at least people that I know and I'm friends with, and especially mm-hmm. in comedy, people are so open, just like talking. They're like an open book. And I feel like I've been that way even before I did comedy. I'm just like willing to talk about whatever with mm-hmm. whoever has questions. But <laughs> I have noticed that we, I mean, this isn't like me being so smart that I've noticed this. It's just like a trend that I think people are becoming more fluid with that. Yeah. And it's it seems like a good time to be be exploring it because everyone's pretty accepting at least the people that I hang out with well sometimes I wonder are we finding each other because we're alike like is it actually more people are fluid I don't know because we live in LA and New York I you know I think there may be an element to that because a lot of the women I meet are um also bi and queer in LA especially in comedy and we all have similar experiences and we're like oh wow we wish we knew this before but I wonder if we're finding each other because we're the same right and like there's actually not that many of us. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. I'd be curious. Like I want them to do a census of like everyone just so we can like get some real uh-huh. facts and figures here. Cause I'm so curious about like, is it really changing or is it where we live and who, what we do that people are just more open about it. I think I like hesitate to label myself as other than straight because I don't, I don't know. I feel like I see a lot of people who label themselves as queer and like, it's not my job to police anyone's sexuality, but I do wonder like how it manifests for all of those people. Mm-hmm. Cause I feel like it must just be so different for everyone. Yeah. Cause I see women that, that are, la- that label themselves as queer and they present as cis straight, like yeah. they only date men, but they present, but they, it, it, it's none of my business. Right. But like, I'm just curious how it manifests for other people. Are you maybe afraid of, um, saying you're not straight because you don't want people to think that you're taking on an identity that's not yours? Yes. I think that the pendulum has swung so far that even some bisexual and queer people won't come out at this point Mm because they're scared of being labeled like that they're co-opting cult like the queer Hmm. culture. Like before it was people were were scared that they were going to be like, shamed and hate crime for being yeah. and I'm sure that's a valid fear in a lot of areas of this country but I think it's swung so far the other way that it's like well some people will just be judged if they were to present themselves as that well that is the kind of um uh double-edged sword that I had when I thought I was straight is that anytime I wanted to explore feelings with a woman, I knew that I could just be safe in my straight identity. Cause it's not that I'm not straight. Like I'm actually both right. Like I like women and I like men. And technically when I'm, I'm dating a man right now. And technically when I'm dating a man, like for all intents and purposes, it's a straight relationship. So it's, it can feel safe to fall into that. Cause mm-hmm. then it's like, it's heteronormative or whatever. Um, so I could see that people wanting to, I, I, I can see both sides. I can understand why people get frustrated because, um, but that's their shit. I think people get frustrated because they've had to struggle and then they see someone not struggling and that's frustrating. Totally. Which is valid feeling to have, but it's not, it shouldn't keep anyone from coming out. Um, no. And I, yeah, it's like 
on one's yeah it's it's fear of being judged just by a different group by the group that is that thing yeah you know and like for me growing up we were pretty like we were pretty religious catholic Mm -hmm. um and my mom's brother was gay but i always felt like um there was an expectation that like all of her kids were straight Mm. and now obviously that's changed a lot i have five siblings we are all straight like we're all five of my siblings are in heterosexual relationships and i'm single but i like my mom has asked me if i'm Mm -hmm. dating my friend she's come around on a lot of things and that's one of them but it's kind of like sometimes i describe it as like we're in a platonic same-sex relationship that's basically what it is and you've never felt you've never wanted to date other women I've definitely like toyed with the idea of like turning on if if I'm on hinge at a certain point Mm -hmm. and like I could just see what's out there but then it's like am I being that straight woman that wants like a gay woman to teach her and like just like I guess sometimes I, I always think, think I always see the other someone side, teach you. but I think for some gay women, they're like, I don't want to be some straight woman's like test of if they're into this. Yeah. I mean, yes, I understand that frustration. I've had women come up to me after shows cause I talk about on the stage and then they'll def- for sure be flirting and for sure be trying to like want me to think they like me. And then later they'll like reveal that they're straight and I'm like, okay, well, right. Th- and then I'm sure that's frustrating, but <laughs> how frustrating else would I learn if not going out with a gay person? Um, okay. There's a couple of things here and this is my opinion and other people can have other opinions. I think some of this is the male patriarchy or the, what's the word? Um, the male gaze mm. world that we grew up in telling us that we have to behave a certain way. Because when you first, I know, I don't know, how old are you when you first had a boyfriend? Um, I'm well, or I first dated or had a crush or like went out with oh, someone. had a crush when I was like five. Okay. But um, then well, I, let's say like more serious, like maybe like a guy that you like kissed hooked up or something. With, yeah. yeah that, something I like would that. say like 17. Okay. That's it. Most people in high school, um, when you were 17, did you approach a guy like, I need this guy to teach me? Or were you just like, we're both at this age and we have hormones and we'll kind of figure it out. That's interesting. Definitely the latter. Okay. Not that he had to teach me. I mean, I'm sure there's always a nervousness in high school of hooking up in general of like, Oh, am I going to know what I'm doing? Yeah. But I definitely never come out of a place. I never thought like, Oh, this guy's going to be annoyed with me because I'm asking him how to touch his dick or whatever. I think, uh, and this is something that I don't know the answer on, but I've thought about a lot because I had this feeling too, when I first, uh, cause I had sex pretty late. I waited till I was like 21. Um, I was 20. Okay. So there you go in the twenties. And I may some of it maybe because I don't know if you like women, but you know, I also had this experience and it took me a long time to have sex with men, but I, um, and I like them. I do like men. I have to say that, but I, cause people <laughs> don't believe me. A lot of people girls don't right believe here, me. Like uh, even men. though I'm dating a man, people <laughs> don't believe that I like men. Um, but I never, yeah, I never felt like I, I would feel nervous the way like, kids do you know because it's scary to kiss someone but it all felt normal to me it was like the heteronormative like oh I'm gonna have my first kiss and you're supposed to be nervous right so I think if you come out later in your life you're just going through that at an older age yeah I don't think you need someone to teach you I think you'll figure it out because truthfully especially with gay relationships because it's so repressed it's actually like easier to figure out because Mm. you're you're almost like against all odds going after something that you know you pushed away for so long yeah so there generally isn't but i don't know everyone's different like nerves can take the most take anyone over but generally when it comes to like physical stuff there isn't really any teaching i don't think with anything because this like literally the most human thing to have so if you're attracted to someone and you're curious 
I would say don't be afraid that like someone's going to get mad that they have to teach you yeah, how to do I it. Think, <laughs> like I have, I've made out with women like in a fun party atmosphere, not like we're yeah. going to go home together. But I think, yeah, I just wonder like opening up that side of me. I just don't, I don't know what that would look like. And I think maybe because of my control issues, I'm like, mm-hmm. well, this is like dipping my toe in a pool that I've just never done before. And I also don't know what that would like grow into, but I'm not, I'm not the type to like shy away from it. If it's something that I really want to like try, I just think it's almost like therapy. Like I haven't gotten to the point where I'm ready to do it yet, but also like I've, I had this thought the other day, like at this point I've put so many years into dating men. It's like, (laughs) I'm going to do it successfully. It's like, if you, it's like, I just keep trying to, I don't know. It's almost like a stubbornness. Mm. But not that I am even looking for a relationship right now, but I totally hear what you're saying as far as like, if I have a curiosity about women, I shouldn't be afraid to explore it. Yeah, I don't think anybody should feel like they have to try anything. And in fact, I would say that is, I think, a lot of times, um, I don't know, like there's a lot of times I think when you talk about people getting mad at straight girls, it comes out of like girls want to be like, I want to just try it. Like it's fun, experimental, right? And that can be really annoying. But also, whatever, let people do what they want. Like, as long as everybody's open and upfront about what they want, that's fine. If and a girl says she wants this, and everyone is. Right, like, just like if a guy says he only wants to do one night stands, most of us will get mad. But, like, hey, maybe someone wants someone that. Someone will so. do it. Certainly, yeah, it's probably so, me. Some so. people might be into that. I have guy friends who like to hook up with straight guys, and that's a thing they into and, and some guys who don't. So like, you know, I think whatever, whatever flows your boat, as long as you're open and it's consensual. Um, but I do think overwhelmingly there is like a, I think for so long media has made, um, bisexual women and like gay women, like into a male gaze thing. And mm-hmm. I think, so that's where the frustration comes from. If, if like a hot straight girl who's like, whatever, getting a lot of dick is like, I want to try girls. Like there is always the, uh, you know, in the back of the, our heads, like a wonder, like, are they doing it? Are they, they doing want it for to, the right reasons? Yeah. Are they trying to get these guys to be turned on? Are they whatever? But you know, I don't know. Some people get turned on with group sex. So it's like, really, I don't, I'm not here to judge anyone. If someone's totally. into that, then they're into that. I think as long as they're upfront. Um, but there is a, there's a fear of exploitation, I think. And, and I think especially for minority groups, um, having to, you know, suffer or be repressed for a long time and finally being able to come out, uh, and then to feel like they're being exploited. I think that's definitely a, a valid concern, but it doesn't sound like that's what you're doing. So no. Yeah. And I think it's also like, I've definitely seen women and been like, I'm attracted to that person, but not on the level of like, where I think I, I think that we like, we j- joke about it sometimes. Like if we were 40 and single, maybe we would just like try let's just like see mm-hmm. what happens but I think it's there's a difference between seeing like Mila Kunis and being like oh she's hot and then being like oh I'm like I have a lot of romantic feelings about this person that I know mm-hmm. intimately and we do kind of have like a codependent relationship to where if we were both interested in women seriously I think we would be dating so it's like a weird thing well, I don't and maybe know, it doesn't I know make sense women who have that relationship who are in love for a long time and don't want to ruin the friendship that and yeah 
I mean, I don't know. Only you know yourself, but I know that it took me a while to come out because I didn't come out to myself for a long time. And I went through a phase where I just called it questioning for a long time. And that mm-hmm. was where I felt the most comfortable. Um, and then I, because I actually, I think drinking did help me come out, even though I don't drink now, but I would get blackout and then like make out with girls and stuff. And then I was like, well, <laughs> this seems to be a habit that a trend. <laughs> yeah. happens when I get drunk. So there's something going on here. Do you get jealous when she's in a relationship and vice versa? I think uh, more than jealousy, I just get like mad when I don't think that she's being treated as well. Like I personally think she's like the best person and deserves the world. Mm -hmm. So we both we both get frustrated when we see the other person accepting less than what they deserve. But I think that's normal for friends. Yeah, but I'm asking jealousy too because I think sometimes you get surprised by your own jealousy, and that's also a way to tell. Yeah, and and love manifests in different ways. But I had that with a girlfriend of mine who uh, girlfriend as in we were friends that both of us were not out. And we were clearly like had crushes on each other. In hindsight, it was very obvious, but at the time it wasn't. And then when, um, when she was dating this girl, I like that when she did eventually come out before she came out before I did, and she was with this girl, I got very jealous. And I was like, Oh, interesting, Teresa. What is this feeling? So I think if she ever <laughs> dated a woman, I would be like, what the fuck? But yeah, I but don't know. because it's not you or because she's held out on you. Like, because you're both quote unquote straight. I don't know. I would have to see hmm. where that feeling was coming from. Well, but life when, is only like you say about talking about waiting until you're 40. But one thing I regret is not being out in my early 20s when I was living life in, in New York City, having fun, because I'm like, I don't do one night stands now. I'm in a relationship. I don't really do that kind of stuff. But there's a lot I feel like I missed out on. And if I had to wait till I was 40 to come out, I think <laughs> I would just be really bummed. Yeah. Is she does she get jealous of you when you're in relationships? It's been literally three years. Do you feel weird telling her when you meet someone new or hook up with someone new? No, because I know that like our friendship is above all else. And that's kind of, I think why we've, maybe that's part of it too. Like we don't want to ruin the friendship. So Hmm. trying something out that could leave one of us like completely devastated, just maybe doesn't seem worth it right now. But we tell each other like everything. The good thing about lesbians is they often stay friends after they break up. So. Is that so? <laughs> I, I, I really don't know. No, I mean, everyone's different. That's kind of a joke. I'm not trying to <laughs> generalize, but <laughs> I, I, do, I do know some stereotypes about lesbians and I, I know some lesbians who have said that they're true, but again, it might not apply to everyone. No, it's not. Yeah. Every, everybody's different. Just like all comedians aren't the same, but right. um, I don't know. It really sounds like you need to explore, but also not necessarily with her. Cause if you're, if the friendship is what you're afraid of, well, there's kind of a couple of things going on. There's definitely the friendship going on, but also it seems like maybe you're not fully letting yourself explore your feelings because of, I don't know, maybe because of the control thing or anything. I don't know you well enough to know why, but it's, I mean, you're like a very beautiful young woman Thank who's you. <laughs> funny and doing cool stuff. So you have nothing to be afraid of. I think, um, if anything, you'll just know more clearly who you are. If a woman approached me and said, Hey, I want to take you on a date. I wouldn't say no. I'm open to it. hmm. Interesting. But then, okay. So in guy relationships, are you usually the one making the move? Are you waiting? Are you waiting for a guy to make a move? I am pretty like upfront with guys and to be honest if there was a woman I met who I thought I want to take on a date I probably wouldn't hesitate to do so like if it were just like someone I met at a show or another comic Mm -hmm. or something like that I would I would be 
I would probably treat it the same as I would treat if I liked a guy comic. I would find out their deal through mutual friends and then I would express interest. It, I found it was a lot harder to meet women when I um, was dating. And that's why I date a lot of men because I didn't, it didn't feel uh, familiar, the dynamic. And now I've gotten over it, but um, a lot of it was because of the male gaze. Like I felt like one of us had to act like the man or do a certain thing instead of just like, but also it's like what we were talking about, the first kiss always just being awkward no matter what. But when you're 17, you just get to get over it and be an adult. Right. Like going to approach someone is scary or anything new is scary. So it's easier if I'm in a bar, like even if I'm like that girl's hot. Oh, here's the guy buying me a drink. It's easier to just be like, well, I know what this night is if I just go with this guy. Right. So then you can always just it's, like It's do the that. familiar versus the not familiar. Yeah. But uh, I'm always of the, uh, uh, of the explore your sexuality and come out or whatever side of things. And especially because I have a lot of friends who came out late in life and a lot of them are like, whoa, what? This is cool. Like, how did I not? So I'm always like, well, having seen the other side, it's always, I think, better to explore. And I'm down. Listeners, <laughs> I'm down to explore. I think you I have to take it in your own hands. It, I, I don't know. think it's about waiting for someone to ask you. Out. I know if I was a woman who knew I was into women and even if I thought a girl was cute, if I heard her say some, what you said, no offense, but if I heard her say, I'm just going to wait and see if someone asks me, I'd be like, well, I don't want to ask her out. Because it sounds like and she I doesn't know that. what she wants. Not because that. she's and not, but not because she's straight or anything, but just like, it would be the same thing as if I hooked up with a guy and then I knew I wanted to be in a relationship and he was like, I don't know what I want. I'd be like, okay, bye. Like, and that's totally fair. <laughs> but also something to know is that I like with my Catholic upbringing for a long time, mm -hmm. I thought I was waiting till marriage to have sex. Then mm -hmm. I had sex when I was 20 with a very serious boyfriend who I thought I was going to marry. And then I've only really begun sex heterosexual exploration the last three years since yeah. I got out of my second serious boyfriend. Uh, so it's definitely like, Everything has happened probably a little bit later than other people. And mm -hmm. so if I was, you know, 30 and said, like, I'm going to seriously start putting effort into just dating women and see what happens, <laughs> that is still probably the same amount of time it takes, like in years. Just some people have that happen yeah. a little bit earlier. It, I feel like for a lot of women, especially in L.A., um, who are bi or queer or whatever, um, who've dated men for years, it happens in your late 20s. And also you're about to enter your Saturn returns. I don't know how into astrology you are. I love it. But yeah. So um, I think a lot of your questions will be answered then. Um, I hope to God you're right. <laughs> I hope to the stars that you're right. But you, it's all in your power. I don't think there's going to be an aha moment. There may be, but there isn't always. I mean, like I'm always still figuring stuff out. I think uh, just knowing what you want is the first step. Also, and then just don't, don't be afraid to explore you know, exploration. That's what it's all about. <laughs> it really is. Um, well, I'm really glad you shared that with me. Thanks um, for chatting through it. I really haven't <laughs> talked about this publicly ever. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's a little, so you're still figuring it out. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it, it, when you first told me what it was, I was like a little nervous that it was going to be a little bit like gay baiting, but then I think oh, it seems like you're, you're just exploring your feelings, which I think is, um, healthy and good. And definitely, you know, I would say don't be beholden to the the friend relationship. If you're feeling like this for your friend, um, I would also explore relationships with other women. Like it doesn't mean, and Hey, maybe you hook up with a girl and you're like, I'm straight, mm -hmm. <laughs> but then you'll know, you know, you'll know. Um, and right. that happened, my twin sister that happened with her and she's straight and I'm not. And so, you know, it's, it's okay. It's a, your own definition. Um, what's but, your sign? A Scorpio. Okay. Yeah. But there's also, I think sometimes the fear of 
it happens more with dudes actually but if you're like oh if i go there and i like it what does that mean and that's going to change my whole reality but listen it is your reality already so you can't force any reality that's not that you don't want so if you're you're right you know um okay cool well i have a quick game i love games okay well just just to like you know end on a in a fun little note um this one's pretty straightforward um i just it's just gonna be a questions from ask reddit do you ever go on ask reddit no i reddit scares me so i don't ever go on it okay why does it scare you i think the format is just unfamiliar to me so i'm overwhelmed whenever Mm. i've signed on there and i don't like i don't know how it works my (laughs) brothers are very into reddit but i have steered clear of it also i i just i know there's a lot of hate on sure there is that but reddit's one of those places where it's like it's got a a ton of fun stuff and then yes a ton of shitty stuff um but ask reddit generally people ask questions and the, the fun ones go to the top and and then people just answer some fun things. So it's pretty straightforward. It's barely a game. I'm just going to read a, <laughs> a an a question that someone posed and you can answer it. And then, um, if you, and then maybe I'll read a couple answers from people. Love it. There's just a few and they're just kind of general hypothetical. So here's the first one. You were offered $1 million if you can hide a pair of car keys from the entirety of the FBI force for seven days. Where do you hide the keys? My goodness. Um, Oh my God, that's. I can read. A, I'm already overthinking see, this. I would love I'll to hear read some. an answer. Okay, let's see. Um, here, uh, this user N I C H S E C says, "Easy. I just keep them on my person for a few hours. Inevitably, I will lose them, and even the oh. entirety of the FBI tearing apart my whole house won't be able to find the damn keys." It's a pretty good answer. I have one. I would um, have David Blaine put it inside an orange. Because you know how he can like put like cards inside oh, yeah. an orange. I would have him do that because I don't think they would, that I don't think they would look there. That's pretty good. I don't know what I would do. I think I would put it somewhere and then keep moving it around. Um, or I don't know. Or, just, mm, or put just, it on the FBI director and then frame him. Yeah. yeah. That sounds like a good idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I was going to make a really dumb joke, but it's, <laughs> it's super. I'll just say it. But I was like, put it on my click because then they can't find it. But no, but right. a bad joke. Um, but that's just the that's just the joke that people make on stage. <laughs> it is always. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. All right. We can scrub that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> luster Luster asks, a ghost will haunt you forever. You can choose who he or she was before dying. Who's your ghost? Um, It can be a famous person. Yeah, it could be whoever. It could be a gen- you can be like a type of person or it can be a famous person. Um, I would probably say like Lucille Ball. Oh, that's fun. Because I think she'd keep things like wacky and exciting. Yeah, she'd be fun. Just, every uh, every day would just be like an episode of I Love Lucy. Exactly. Um, okay, here's, uh, here's one by Gunnar JM. What's a non-sexual moment equivalent of an orgasm? Um, probably either blowing my nose or peeing in the shower peeing in the shower that's controversial i do it but people it's supposedly a thing where people are like grossed out by it but i'm like how is that any grosser than like if you peed if someone peed on you you would go to the shower to wash it off so what's the difference it's it's, (laughs) people like to be contrarian i think that i think even people who say publicly that they don't support it probably do it yeah i mean i think it's just less and they should come on the show um Um, um, I don't know what my, mine would be a non-sexual. I really like when I get into a parking space 
Exactly. And it's not um, crooked at all. And I don't have to adjust. That's a good feeling. That ha- that has come up a lot on my trip thus far. And I have to say the first person who ever parallel parked probably got, had some serious doubters, like people mm-hmm. who thought he couldn't do it or she. Yeah. And look at, we all do it now. We all do it. I mean, some I don't do it very well. <laughs> it takes me a do. long time. Um, okay, here's the final one from user Lord Pond. You gain control of J.K. Rowling's Twitter account for a day. What unnecessary piece of information do you add to Harry Potter lore? <sighs> um, probably that. Oh God, I don't even know. I'm gonna. I don't know <laughs> enough some about really Harry. Funny po- ones here. Buckbeak was a metaphor. Are you not a Harry Potter fan? I read the first three books and I've seen a few of the movies. Maybe that like, (laughs) I don't know. Dobby is like a queer icon or something. Or is that already a thing? That's funny. Dobby. I don't think that's a thing, but I I do. It is funny. I do like that uh, version of a joke when people just say blank is the queer. Okay. Yeah. I like to say Moana. The ocean is a queer icon for Moana. Mm. I do think Moana is kind of a queer narrative. You know, and then she she goes off into the sea, and, there's, and she's like, uh, "There's her and Tafiti." Do you watch? Did you watch Moana? I fucking love Moana. Moana. Is so good. I, I I could get into it all day. I think it's better than Frozen. Frozen's a good oh, movie. I but didn't even finish Frozen. Frozen won a bunch of awards, and it won for um, Let It Go, right? I think. And Moana didn't even get nominated the songs. And I'm like, the awards are a so bunch much of better. Sh- no. But, you know, because she's brown. Um, no, it's definitely that Oscar's so white. Uh, there are some funny ones here. Teenage wizards would jack off in front of the hottest moving paintings. Oh, I didn't know it could be um, general like that. I should have thought on a grander scale. It's just because J.K. Rowling. Uh, do you follow her? No, but I've heard I've heard rumblings of some of the things. Yeah, she'll just randomly be like, back in the day. Uh, wizards didn't have plumbing and they just poop and use their wands to disappear it and people are like okay stop we don't want to hear anymore okay <laughs> enough she's just bored and just she's like drunk she's on power. Just high and she's like mm, what's a funny thing i could say it's just uh, man um well thank you so much for coming on the podcast thanks for having me this where, was a pleasure uh, thank you where can people find you i'm on instagram and twitter at mary beth barone uh and I have a monthly show at the Public Hotel in New York City. So I post information about that on my website, which is just my name.com. And then also I have a show coming up at Union Hall called Drag His Ass, a fuckboy treatment program. <laughs> That's going to be on March 18th. And I would love to see any and all of you there. Goodbye. Thanks. Thanks.